You're listening to a Count Out Podcast. I am the Nature Boy Rick Flair. I feel great. It's great to be part of the GI Climax Tournament. Tonight, Shoto, you, Muda, or anybody else that wants to find out why Rick Flair is the greatest wrestler in the world, it's New Japan Pro Wrestling, and the Nature Boy is here to stay. Woo! In 1991, the first ever G1 Climax was born. Replacing the former World Leagues and IWGP League tournaments, this new tournament took the top heavyweights New Japan Pro Wrestling had to offer to see who truly was the best in the promotion. But not everyone got the opportunity to compete in the G1 Climax. After all, the G1 Climax was for the best of the best and to be invited in was an honor in of itself. Some wrestlers never appeared, while some competed year in and year out. Today, however, we will be discussing the men that got the call only one time. This is G1 and Only. Welcome to G1 and Only. My name is Ryan Knightsey. On today's episode, we are talking about a true legend in professional wrestling, a Hall of Famer, a face on wrestling's Mount Rushmore. Although not having many interactions of New Japan proper, this wrestler was already a star in his own right. Before the 1995 G1 Climax, this man was a three-time WCW World Heavyweight Champion, a two-time WWF Heavyweight Champion, and a ten-time NWA World's Heavyweight Champion. At this point in time, he had already earned nine five-star matches by the Wrestling Observer over his 23-year career at this point, one match of which has already been updated to become a six-star match. There's only one person that fits the bill here. He is the real world's champion. He is the leader of the four horsemen, the dirtiest player in the game, the nature boy, woo, Ric Flair. In his first match of the 1995 G1 Climax, Ric Flair faced Mr. August himself, Masahiro Chono. 
This match is simply a wrestling legend against a man in the middle of writing his legendary book. With the 14-year age difference and the 12-year wrestling experience difference, this match is a momentous match in my eyes in the first and only singles match between the two. Chono's G1 Climax history is, already stated, the best ever at this point, winning three of the four G1 Climaxes and reaching the semifinals on that fourth. You can easily say that the first week in August belongs to Masahiro Chono. Plus, let me add, following his third G1 Climax win, plus it's important to add that following his third G1 Climax victory and a title shot issue involving Kensuke Sasuke, Chono was undergoing an attitude change here, wearing darker clothing and becoming more heel-like in his mannerisms. He began a faction with Tenzan and Saito called Team Wolf, which would eventually lay the groundwork for what would become NWO Japan. So if arguably the toughest opponent ahead of him, who just happened to have recently turned heel to reestablish his dominance in New Japan, can Ric Flair show the Japanese crowd the legend that is the Nature Boy? Or will he lose to the legend of the G1 Climax? In Tokyo, Japan, on August 11th, 1995, Ric Flair entered his first G1 Climax match in the first match of Block A that year against three-time G1 Climax winner Masahiro Chono. Ric Flair starts the match looking for a handshake. Chono immediately refuses, but then spits in his own hand and extends it towards Flair, which Flair denies. The two meet up in a lockup, but Flair quickly escapes, runs his fingers through his hair, and struts. Already, I get goosebumps on my arms. This match feels big. After some back-and-forth wrestling, with Flair focusing on Chono's knee and Chono thumbing Flair in the eye, Flair eventually took control of the match by shoving Chono into the corner, delivering his signature chops, then arm drags to Chono into his signature woo! Chono responds very quickly with a shoulder block, raining on Flair's parade. With momentum now on his side, Chono wraps Flair's leg up and begins wearing down Flair's knee for the eventual setup of his STF. He attempts the move, but Flair is right next to the ropes, able to get out of the hold. Chono tries to continue wearing down on the leg, but Flair reverses into an armbar and escapes. Flair gets up, literally hopping on one leg, and proceeds to chop Chono and attack his left arm, bringing Chono to the mat. Flair then stands up and applies more leverage to Chono's arm until he brings him down once more. Flair eventually brings Chono into the corner, delivers that chop again, then brings Chono back down to the mat, but Chono eventually reaches the rope to escape. Flair begins to stalk Chono around the ring, looking for that arm. Chono puts his arm out as bait, but then drop to holds Flair, which he then quickly reverses, going back onto Chono's arm, really showcasing the sort of experience over Chono here. Flair attempts to roll up Chono, but Chono does everything in his power to elude that pin. Chono gets a brief shift in momentum by getting out of an arm lock and applies his sleeper hold onto Ric Flair, but Flair skills too much and captures Chono's left arm again. Sick of being captured, Chono gouges Flair's eyes and proceeds to headbutt a down Flair in the corner, leading to a back body drop. Chono flings Flair into the opposite corner, and Flair goes flying over the turnbuckle in classic Flair fashion. Now on the outside, Flair tries to re-enter the ring, but Chono keeps him out. While the ref isn't looking, Chono's stablemate, who happened to be ringside here, Hiro Saito, elbows Flair into the stomach. 
Flair re-enters the ring eventually, but Chono brings Flair in the hard way with a suplex and kick combination. Looking for an escape, Flair atomic drops Chono. Flair continues his assault with a chop and two knees down on Chono's head, each resulting in a very close win. Chono sits up in perseverance, but Flair hits a snapmare, then chops Chono out of the ring. Flair follows Chono out of the ring by jumping off and giving Chono a hammer strike to the back. Flair then throws Chono into the barricade, and when Chono re-enters, Flair catches Chono. He picks up Chono, grabs his leg, slams it down on Flair's knee. He then holds on to Chono's leg, but Chono reverses with an enziguri into a quick STF, but Flair is able to reach the ropes. Flair then chops Chono and goes for a running knee drop, but Chono rolls away. Masahiro Chono then climbs to the top rope and nails Ric Flair with a flying shoulder block. Chono goes for a second, but Flair is able to cut off Chono, flinging him off the top rope. Flair then applies an enthusiastic sleeper on Chono. Chono starts failing fast, causing the ref to check on the down Chono, but Chono proves that he is still present and conscious. Chono then gets out of the sleeper, starts choking out Flair. Hey, but look, being the dirtiest player in the game, Flair low blows Chono. Flair here now, he doesn't care about being yelled at by the referee, and then applies the figure four on Chono, but Chono grabs the ropes immediately. Chono then gets up and attempts a suplex, but Flair low blows Chono again and hits a huge vertical suplex, causing the tape to sputter out, ironically enough, until Chono is able to kick out of the pin attempt. Flair's getting pretty excited here at the fight and puts up his dukes. He hits Chono with a couple jabs, then a short arm lariat. Then he locks in the figure four in the center of the ring. But Chono remembers how he escaped from the arm lock early in the match and rakes Flair's eyes, causing Flair to exit the ring. Chono meets Flair to the outside and applies a figure four lock of his own. While the ref and Chono re-enter the ring, Hirosaito attacks Flair again. Flair enters the ring and gets a close roll-up win, but Chono is able to kick out. Flair tries for a pile driver, but Chono rolls away, causing both men to simply collapse. The two trade blows next to the ropes, both collapsing on the ropes in between hits, showing their lack of stamina. Flair lifts Chono up for a back body drop, but he is simply out of breath, unable to reach the pin. Flair and Chono get up, and Chono hits a sudden enziguri, a last-second move, a toss, goes for a running kick into the corner, but Flair counters with a kick of his own. Chono whips Flair into the corner, but Flair jumps the ropes, hits the opposite sides, top rope, and flies off with another hammer strike onto Chono. Flair then goes for two running knee drops and another back body drop, but with three pin attempts, Flair is still unable to put away Chono. The timekeeper says there is time running out of this match. Both men are spent. Flair climbs the top rope, but Chono meets him, wags his finger, and flings Flair off. Chono then slowly locks in the STF, showing his spent energy. The time is running out. Flair crosses the ropes, but Chono captures Flair's hands, refusing Flair to reach the ropes, refusing that rope break. The time is almost out again. We're nearing the end of the match. Flair gets his hands free, but it's too late. The bell sounds. This match ends in a draw. Following the match, Flair rolls to the outside to escape and breathe, but Chono meets him there, upset, and proceeds to lay the boots to Ric Flair. Conclusion However disappointing a time limit draw could be, Flair and Chono were outstanding here. 
The story of the match is more interesting for someone like Masahiro Chono than it was for Ric Flair, admittedly. Ric Flair is Ric Flair. You know, he knows how to wrestle at this point. He knows how to work down his opponent. And when he really needs to, he'll get dirty. Chono seemed to want to do the same, but was never able to out-wrestle Ric Flair, which obviously makes sense. He tries for a long time to try to escape Flair's arm locks, but he could never could. And it wasn't until raking Flair's eyes, until he was cheating, or having Hiro Saito on the side attacking Flair, where the momentum was able to flip into Chono's favor. But obviously, the title of this episode isn't about Masahiro Chono, it's about Ric Flair. Flair did his best to dominate Chono, and as stated, only lost control of the match after Chono was able to cheat. But this tactic obviously wasn't lost on Flair. When Flair was in an incredible amount of trouble, that is when he would pull out of the cheap tactics. The difference between Chono and Flair here is that Chono only cheats when he is unable to use his skill to help him, where Flair cheats to make sure that he stays and possibly wins the match, when he feels like he's about to lose. Block A of the 1995 G1 Climax now looks as follows. The 1995 G1 Climax had a very short block, with only four participants. So, at the top of the block, we have Shiro Koshinaki, with two points, when he defeated Keji Muto in a spectacular match with a brutal finish, earning the first two points of the tournament. And because Chono and Flair ended in a time limit draw, each man ended up earning one point, being in the middle of the block, and again, because Muto lost earlier, he is at zero points at the bottom of the barrel. To the modern New Japan fan, Shiro Koshinaki may be a name you've never heard of before, because, you know, admittedly I have not. But that doesn't mean he is not important, and important to know who he is. He was, after all, the first ever IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion. Flair and Koshinaka have never faced each other before, mainly due to Koshinaka only joining the heavyweight division in 1990. Koshinaka is similar in both age and experience with Flair's previous opponent, but does not have great tournament experience like Masahiro Chono. Koshinaka has only competed in two of the four G1 climaxes, losing in the first round in his debut in 1993, and sitting at the second to bottom of the block in the 94 G1 climax. This is a short tournament, obviously, and every win matters here, so Ric Flair must win this match to ensure his chance of G1 Climax history. In Tokyo, Japan, on August 12, 1995, Ric Flair competed in his second G1 Climax match, facing current Block A leader, Shiro Koshinaka. The match begins with a very interesting start, where Koshinaka starts with a lot of fire and energy, but Flair continuously tries to calm him down for just a simple handshake. Flair doesn't want to wrestle at Koshinaka's speed or pace, but rather a speed and pace dictated by him. Flair attempts some lockups, but after bringing Koshinaka to the ground, Koshinaka applies a head scissor to quickly escape. Flair goes after his arm, but Koshinaka speeds out of the way. Flair throws Koshinaka off the ropes, but Koshinaka delivers a shoulder block. Flair sits back, realizing the speed of his opponent. The best way to slow down your opponent is to bring them down to the mat, which Flair does. But even this doesn't work. So, you know, the dirtiest player works his magic and, and while the ref isn't looking, delivers some closed fist punches straight to Koshinaka, 
This is very reminiscent nowadays to uh, a Chase Owens, who does that a lot in his current wrestling. Flair brings Koshinaka to the corner, but Koshinaka explodes out, attacking Flair with some chops and a huge back body drop, causing Flair to retreat to the outside. Again, he doesn't want to work at Koshinaka's pace, he wants to work at his own. Back in the ring, Flair tries to catch Koshinaka several times with arm drags and knee drops, but every time, Koshinaka counters out or dodges out of the way. Flair retreats into the corner, telling Koshinaka to slow down. Koshinaka refuses and throws Flair into the corner and back body drops him. He throws Flair to the corner again, but Flair is able to catch him and drops Koshinaka into an atomic drop. Flair brings Koshinaka into the corner for some blows, but Koshinaka reverses it, throwing Flair to the outside. Flair brings Koshinaka into the corner for some blows, but he is able to reverse out of it, throwing Flair to the opposite side. Flair counters a clothesline into the corner and climbs the top rope only to get thrown off. Koshinaka climbs the top rope and nails a drop kick. And nails a drop kick. Koshinaka picks up Flair and throws him into the ropes, but Flair catches himself and hits Koshinaka with a huge suplex. But he is unable to follow up. Back in control, Flair brings Koshinaka into the corner and begins stomping on Koshinaka's knee. Flair brings Koshinaka out of the corner, but Koshinaka catches Flair with an insecurity. Koshinaka whips Flair into the corner and Flair flies over it to the outside. Flair is able to re-enter, but Koshinaka hits the big vertical suplex to help Flair out. This causes Flair to beg for mercy once more. This obviously doesn't work, where Koshinaka catches Flair with a sleeper but Flair is able to get out of it with a back body drop. Flair throws Koshinaka into the corner, but misses a running knee. Koshinaka then applies a figure four lock onto Flair, but Flair is able to reach the ropes. Koshinaka continues his assault on Flair by hitting a running bulldog and then a diving back elbow for the failed pin attempt. Koshinaka goes for a running bulldog again, but this time Flair catches Koshinaka with a knee drop. Flair goes for the figure four, but Koshinaka catches Flair with a roll-up, but no avail. Koshinaka goes for hip attack and another move, but Flair reverses it, dropping Koshinaka and catching him again into the figure four. Being stuck in the center of the ring, Koshinaka tries really hard to escape, but Flair is just wrenching on Koshinaka's knee, even punching it for added damage. Eventually, Koshinaka reaches the bottom rope. Flair is not done, however. He's looking for that win, and he drags Koshinaka back into the center ring and applies the figure four once more. Koshinaka is struggling, even grabbing the referee and throwing him down and paid. He needs any kind of relief, but he cannot find it. After a full two minutes in the leg lock, Koshinaka has nowhere to let go, telling the referee he quits. Ric Flair wins the match. Conclusion Similar to the Chono match, Flair vs. Koshinaka told a simple story. Koshinaka is younger, leaner, and more importantly, faster than Ric Flair. Flair is repeatedly beaten by Koshinaka and tries to find ways to catch him, but repeatedly fails. However, when Flair is able to catch him, it's with attacks on Koshinaka's knee. Understanding that if he is able to catch him, attack the knee, he will be able to slow him down, making it easier to catch him in the future. Because obviously, this all led to that moment in the final leg of the match, <laughs> ironically, final leg of the match, catching Koshinaka with two figure four locks, 
totaling in four minutes of punishment. This proved to be too much for Koshinaka, spelling the end of this match. Block A of the 1995 G1 Climax now looks as follows. At the top of the block, with his win over Shiro Koshinaka, is Ric Flair with three points. Shiro Koshinaka, unable to get the victory, is at two. Kejimuto defeated Masahiro Chono in a bloody war, earning him his first two points in the G1 Climax. And now, with two matches out of the way in this small G1 Climax block, the road to victory is quite clear for Flair. Simply win his next match, and Flair wins the block. However, this year's G1 Climax is an interesting endgame. Instead of just the final match between the block winners, the 1995 G1 Climax had a short four-man mini-tournament with the two wrestlers at the top of each block facing each other. So, for example, the Block A overall winner, number, let's say number one, will face the Block B second winner, so one versus two, or one A versus two B there. Uh, and then one B will face two A. This means that if Flair wins, he will then have to face Block B's second, Scott Norton. But if Muto wins and Flair loses, then Flair would be tied for second in the block with Chono. But they ended in a draw, so somehow tiebreaker would need to be in order. But before we get to the semifinals, let's finish out the block. Ric Flair and Keji Muto have never wrestled each other properly before. However, Ric Flair and obviously the great Muta have wrestled a lot. Across house shows and big shows for the NWA slash WCW, Flair and Great Muta overall singles record was 6-0, with Flair winning every single singles match. In fact, all but one of those matches were for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. However, more importantly, all of those successful NWA title defenses ended in disqualifications. It should also be noted that this was part of Muto's excursion, so big things were already planned for Muto at a very young point in his career. In Tokyo, Japan, on August 13th, 1995, Ric Flair wrestled Keji Muto to determine the winner of Block A in the G1 Climax. After they size each other up, Flair and Muto start with a test of strength contest, with Muto just utterly destroying Flair's fingers. When Muto breaks the test, he hits Flair with his own woo! Flair, obviously, does not appreciate this. Flair brings Muto down with a headlock and immediately goes for the arm of Muto, a strategy that Flair has used this entire tournament. Muto attempts to roll out of the arm lock, but Flair cuts Muto off and brings him back to the mat. The common theme for Flair continues, with him out-wrestling his opponent. Muto moves Flair into the corner, but Flair uses the ropes to apply further damage to Muto's arm. Out of frustration, Muto leaves the ring. Upon re-entry, Flair continues his offense on Muto's arm, but Muto is quickly able to reach the ropes. Flair tries to go back onto Muto's arm, but Muto is able to use his speed to escape and hit Flair with two dropkicks, bringing Flair to the outside for a breather. When Flair re-enters the ring, Muto catches Flair with a hard shoulder block and a headlock takedown. Flair gets out and attacks Muto's knee and gives a stiff punch to Muto's bandaged head. Again, Muto was injured in a bloody war with Masahiro Chono the night before. Referee Tiger Hattori tries to get Flair to stop, but Flair continues the assault on Muto's head and left leg. Flair brings Muto down and captures Muto with some head scissors, attempting to cut off the blood in Muto's head from the rest of his body. 
Flair and Muto proceed to have a chop-up, with Flair hitting the mat. Flair, however, retreats to slow down the pace of the match, but this doesn't work, because Muto throws Flair into the corner and lands a back body drop on him. Muto throws some body shots on Flair and throws him into the opposite corner, resulting in Flair flying over the turnbuckle once again. Like his matches previously, Flair was able to re-enter the ring after this via vertical suplex. Muto goes for the opportunity of the dropkick, but Flair is able to see this and dodges the move. He then takes advantage of it and locks the figure four leg lock onto Keji Muto. Muto is in agony over the submission, but is able to reach the ropes. Following the escape, Flair continues his assault on Muto's knee with strikes, knee drops, and stretches. Muto attempts to fight his way out, but the damage is just too much. Flair climbs the top rope, but Muto meets Flair there, delivering a superplex to Flair. Despite Muto delivering the move, in a weird way, the cut on Muto's forehead reopens here. Muto keeps the momentum up, waving off a begging Ric Flair. Muto slams Flair down and goes for the Muto assault, but Flair dodges. Muto lands straight on his already worked knees, and while in pain, Flair applies more punishment to the already open cut on Muto's forehead. It's at this point where there is blood all over Muto's face and Ric Flair's knuckles. Truly a crimson mask moment, causing Muto to whiff at nothing, unable to see. Flair obviously takes advantage of this, taking down Muto with more strikes and a knee drop to the forehead of Muto. Flair continues attacking Muto's leg, because despite bleeding everywhere from the head, Flair wants to finish this match with a figure four, baby. Keji Muto is trapped, a bloody mess, simply suffering from the pain. Flair wants his win badly. He knows that if he wins this match, he wins the block. But Keji Muto's heart beats hard, flipping Flair over and reversing the pressure of the figure four, causing Flair to break the hold. Flair picks up Muto and goes for another figure four, but Muto catches Flair with an inside cradle. Flair kicks out and goes for a hip toss, but Muto reverses it into a backslide pin attempt, but no dice. Muto is dripping with blood, attempting to break his own Muto scale. Flair sees this and just loves it. He strikes Muto down and poses to the ground with a double buys, but Muto explodes with life. Maybe it's the, the, the second wind, or maybe it's this newfound energy that's coming from the crowd somewhere. This energy, this crimson mask, terrifies Ric Flair. Muto then hits a hip toss and a back body drop onto Ric Flair. He'll go to the top quickly, and this will do it. The Moonsault press, and Muto wins. Conclusion. Again, the story of this match is a very simple one and very similar to Ric Flair's other two matches in the G1 Climax. Or at least it would appear to be. When Keji Muto busts himself open, the atmosphere and story of the match, to me, felt like it completely changed. Flair changed up his strategy to just bloody up Muto, and Muto was just, you know, sort of, for lack of a better way, drowning in his blood. But it was the perseverance moment for Muto. He showed up to the unrelenting Ric Flair. This match was heading in a similar direction to all the other Flair matches, and maybe Flair would have won the match, but it was Muto's head flowing in blood that became the game changer causing Flair to change his strategy, which ended up possibly being his own downfall. The blood only made Muto fight harder, believe harder, use his heart. His second win hit faster, and Muto ended with victory. 
Block A of the 1995 G1 Climax now looks as follows. The worst case scenario has befallen Ric Flair. With his loss to Muto, Flair stays at 3 points with Muto at 4, now passing Ric Flair to officially win the block. Then, in a fight for second place, which again matters here because of the sort of mini-tournament, Masahiro Chono was able to defeat Shira Koshinaka to also end the block with three points. And this is where, I don't know if it's history or, or record-keeping gets a little fuzzy. With Chono and Flair both ending with three points and ending with a draw in their match, someone had to go into the G1 Climax to the four-man mini-tournament. And for some reason, that decision went to Masahiro Chono. I searched all over the web for a possible reason as to why Chono moved on and not Flair, or what was the reason the decision was made, but I couldn't find it. My current theory is that since Chono maybe had the final move of the STF on Flair at the time limit draw, maybe if more time was given, Chono would have won that match. But you know, that's a bold theory that if I was Flair, I would have been upset about. You know, there is also maybe the political theory, with uh, Chono being a New Japan guy and Flair being the WCW foreigner. Give the decision to Chono because he's with the company, which, you know, makes sense. Either way, Flair leaves the tournament with three points, the third in the block with one win, one loss, and one draw. And even though it wasn't his greatest wrestling performance, each match of his were incredibly solid and simple showcasing himself as one of the greatest technical wrestlers and shining a spotlight to New Japan's own. I recommend witnessing Flair's G1 Climax if you can, and you can at least watch the Mudo match on NewJapanWorld.com. If you don't want the Japanese commentary, you can even get English commentary with Kevin Kelly. Ric Flair's G1 and only grade, B+. Following the 1995 G1 Climax, Flair returned to the United States to compete in his home promotion of WCW. One month later in September, WCW would debut its first episode of Monday Night Nitro, where Flair would wrestle with his longtime rival, Sting, and thus began the Monday Night Wars. Flair mentioned that competing in New Japan's G1 Climax was an important milestone for him, putting over the already huge importance the tournament had in the wrestling landscape at this point in time. Flair never returned to the G1 Climax, most likely because of the new weekly television obligations in the States. He most certainly could have if he wanted to because, you know, hey, it's Ric Flair, and I'm sure New Japan would have loved to have him return, but those returns would be saved for other days. Ric Flair would continue to wrestle in WCW, winning the WCW World Heavyweight Championship five more times. When WCW was sold to WWF, Flair took a brief hiatus from wrestling, but returned with WWF ultimately. There, he would form the stable known as Evolution with Triple H, Batista, and Randy Orton. He would compete for the Intercontinental Championship, but never was able to capture the World Heavyweight Championship there. After another short hiatus, Flair stated that he would never retire, entering his final stage of wrestling for WWE, ironically. He would compete in several career-threatening matches, culminating at a wonderful match at WrestleMania 24, where he would lose to Shawn Michaels, the day after Flair was inducted into WWE's Hall of Fame. Flair would continue to wrestle, however, working with Ring of Honor for a hot second, and then settling in at total non-stop action. 
He would join many a stable, feud with Hogan again, feud with Jay Lethal, and Flair would even compete in his final, final match ever, losing to Sting on September 15th, 2011. With his daughter now entering WWE developmental, Flair would return to WWE to assist her and become a spokesperson for the company for many years to come. Also, he would become a huge figure in the hip-hop community. I don't know entirely how that sort of came about, but look, nobody drips better than the nature boy himself, Ric Flair. In two weeks, we will actually be skipping the 1996 G1 Climax entirely, the first G1 Climax of no only time appearances. But we will move on into two different G1 Climaxes instead, that being the 1997 and the 1998 G1 Climaxes. The New Japan and WCW relationship was in full swing. Let's say some interesting wrestlers were able to compete in the famous G1 Climax tournament. The wrestlers we will cover are Steven Regal, known today as William Regal, Buff Bagwell, and Big Titan. Well, you might remember him from his time in WWF as fake Razor Ramon. Yes, the next episode's gonna be a doozy, folks. I can't wait to watch these matches. But until then, half a great new year. Let's really try to make this year start off strong. Continue to stay safe, everybody. Take that vaccine, and I will talk to you all next week on G1 and only.